Note, this episode contains explicit language. Hi, I'm Sarah. How to meet you. In the first episode of this season, we talked about how there are plenty of examples of good police who feel silenced by bad policy. So here's what I was thinking for today. Pressured to stay quiet. I rented a car. Why don't we drive around okay. just to like the places that are significant transition periods in your life? Like when you decided you wanted to be a police officer, you know, the incident that happened, obviously. Thought it might be good for me to learn at the same time as uh, we talk about this. You gonna learn today? <laughs> this is why don't we know the podcast about data deserts and missing information and the real life consequences of government secrecy. I'm Sarah Gannon, and in this episode, I talk to a former police officer named Cariel Horn, who stood up in a moment of injustice, stopped a police officer from choking a man about why more cops don't do what she did. So this is Buffalo East Side, Cold Spring area. Any born here? Born and raised. I met Cariel Horn on a Friday in July. We used to go to this school, School 39, which is Martin Luther King School. There was a store right here. It's a lot now. A lot of things that I grew up with are now lots. Johnson Street. This is your house? We used to live here, 306. I used to live here, and I used to live in the back. My sister used to live here, upstairs at 309. My mother lived at 311. But my mother, she lived at 306 when we were younger, and that's where we grew up. So this street has, I have a lot of memories on here. My first love lived over on Herman Street, so we used to go over there. And I just was a tomboy, so we used to wrestle the boys and everything. It was like, he bought me a, a necklace with some earrings. And I was like, oh my God, he gave it to me. I'm like, thank you. And then my mother was like, give it back. I was like, <laughs> she made me give it back. I was so heartbroken. I think that she, because we lived in poverty, even though it didn't seem like poverty, and you know, people try to put money on a pedestal. And of course you need it, but we had love. How old were you when you decided to join? I was like uh, 18, 19. I think I was 19 when I took the test, I think. What motivated you to do that? My son's father. He knew about civil service exams and they were basically hiring minorities because they had to fill a quota from a lawsuit that the Afro-American Police Association found a lawsuit for there to be more black officers. They hire more black officers and I was in that number. This was in 88? Uh, 1988? 88 is when I got sworn in. Was there a time when you liked your work? Oh, I love the work. I love the people, I love the community. I did not like how the administration ran. I, I didn't like how I saw officers treat people. Um, right from the beginning? From the very beginning, yes. There was a training officer that I had. He took a pager from a young black boy. He didn't do anything wrong, he just stopped him and then took him to the station. And then he was like, you know, you gotta just take my pager. It's like, you gotta give me a receipt or something. And he wrote on a tiny piece of paper, I got your paper. And then he said to him, how many times you've been arrested? And the guy says, I've never been arrested. He says, you're 18 and you haven't been arrested. 
At that time, I was probably like 21, 22. And I was thinking, you're going to make a left. I was thinking, I've never been arrested. You know, I was like 21, 22. Why should he even think that this guy had been arrested? Because this you're young and black, you must be a criminal. Right. And you need to be arrested. Right. And the guy was not uh, the cop. I always thought he was a nice guy. This is the station right here. This, this is where I worked at when I got fired. So this is C District. This is C District? Uh-huh. What does that mean? C as in Cario. <laughs> no. <laughs> like they have A, B, C, D, and E districts. Okay. So this is... A is South Buffalo, B is downtown, C, of course, is east side, D is um, more north Buffalo, E is east side, east north. And C, does C serve a predominantly black community? Yes. Are there predominantly black police officers working there? Um, I don't think so. When you were there, was it predominantly black? Mm -mm. No. So it was, it was always more white working in black women. Even though the community is predominantly black. Mm -hmm. That's part of the problem. Well, it could be part of the problem, but um, if the, the black officers would not just go along to get along and just not let them come into our community and treat people any type of way, it wouldn't happen. And it's basically a go along, get along type of mentality. I sat and watched the instance where he he took the pager. As we sat parked in front of the C District Police Precinct, Carrie O'Horn told me another story. One time I sat and I was on the passenger side. And that's like I can actually feel that same feeling that I was feeling when I was there. A different time that she sat silently and watched. There were some white officers beating on this black guy. I remember him having dreads and I remember them hitting him in the head with a flashlight, which is their go-to weapon. They were beating the guy. And I sat there and I said, if they hit him one more time, I'm going to stop him. And they hit him one more time, two more times, three more times, and I just sat there like this. Who do I tell? If I stop him, they're going to probably beat me. I wasn't sure what to do. And as the years went on, these incidents were piling up for her. One time I answered a call. It was a burglary call. It was over $10,000. So a detective needed to come and investigate it. So I called, speak to a detective. And so I'm on the phone with her and the guy comes out and says, he put a knife, he put a knife on my nine-year-old son. So I say, girl, I say, hold on. This guy said that um, somebody pulled a knife on his nine-year-old son. So then I go over there and he's like, he's right there, right there. I say, excuse me, sir, like, did you just pull a knife on this little boy? He turned around with a knife in his hand. But when I asked him, I had my gun out. I wasn't gonna be stupid about it. Cause when he saw the gun, he threw the knife down. I was like, get up against the wall. Like, like, how are you going to pull a knife on a nine-year-old? And then he was, like, talking kind of crazy. And so I was, like, get my cuffs out or whatever. Got my gun out. I'm trying to grab my cuffs with my other hand. And I dropped the cuffs. So listen, I'm about to pick these cuffs up. If you hit me in my hand, I'm shooting you. I hadn't called for backup, but because she heard me say that the guy had a knife, then she sent somebody to come and check it. It was a lieutenant. And... So then by the time he came, I was putting the guy in the car. And one of the officers says, Carol, because they call me Carol. I heard that um, you had a chance to shoot somebody and you didn't. I said, if I didn't have to shoot him, why would I shoot him? 
Cariel told me that at this point in her career, she's realizing that she isn't going to be able to go along to get along like some of her colleagues. Did it make you stop liking your job? Yeah. I used to hate going to work. I used to hate that whenever I treated somebody with respect, they, they seem or try to make it seem that I had six heads. Then in 1999, Cariel's oldest son, who at the time was 16, was arrested outside of a train station. So he was leaving. When he was leaving on the escalator was a cop with a guy in handcuffs. She says her son basically walked into an arrest in progress, and the police assumed that he was involved. Made them co-defendants and locked them up. The charges, according to Cariel, were quickly tossed by a judge. And so she was pretty upset, thinking that her son was just arrested just because he was black. Plus, she says, that when she read the report, she saw a comment that a fellow police officer made that was disparaging about her. She says that I was a crackhead. Around that same time, she says she was standing up for a fellow black female officer who was accused of assaulting another officer. And so she was feeling a lot of pressure, backlash from fellow officers. She could tell she was becoming a target. So I'm at bingo one day, and the lady says, oh, um, be careful because you're being investigated. And they said it was because of my bilateral hernia surgery. This was 2000. Cariel was injured on the job, and there's a dispute about how much paid leave she should get. And eventually, she stops showing up for work, and so she's terminated. It took me five years to get back. But she gets her job back. An investigation finds that someone had altered her records, and she was not wrong. So she's back on the force by 2005. And then in 2006, about a year later, she finds herself once again watching another police officer mistreat someone. And this time she can't just sit there and watch. Okay, take me to this day in 2006. Yeah, so November 1st, 2006, there's a popular restaurant down this way. It was called Gigi's. I was there having breakfast with one of the guys. We were working in one-man cars, so we met for breakfast, one of the other officers. And after breakfast, I get in the car, I hear the call, and the call is officer in trouble. So I go over there, see where this white band is? Just stop right, right here. This is 707 Walden is here. And then we see that door, we go to that door, go up the stairs, go to the left and when we go in I look to the left there's a, a young man on the ground I see a cop with his nightstick and then I look to the right and there's like a scuffle going on the scuffle is between a man named Neil Mack who lived at that house and Buffalo police officer Greg Kwiatkowski so Greg has Neil Mack who's handcuffed in the front which is not protocol he's handcuffed in the front and then he's like punching him in the head. And then he said, they beat me. Then to us, they beat me. And then Greg is like, this mf won't listen, something to that effect. At this point, Horn says that another officer steps in and offers to handcuff Neil Mack in the back as protocol states they should. He says, Greg, let me get him. Let me cuff him in the back. Greg just kept punching him like, no, this mf won't listen. And he swung him towards us. So now I'm thinking we need to get him out of here before he kills him. But anyway, we get him outside. There was a gate, I don't know if I see it now. There was a gate that was right there and his leg got caught in the gate. I don't know if we pushed his leg in the gate or what, but 
we had to move back and push forward. And I think from that momentum that Greg may have felt, I'm not sure, but whatever happened, Greg stopped, swung Neil Mack around and just choked him. And he squatted, he squatted down. At this point, he's on the ground? No, he's like crouched down and he pulled Neil Mack to him. So now they're, Neil Mack is on the ground, but he's choking him. And I'm like, Greg, you're choking him. That's when I just grabbed his arm from around his neck. Kwiatkowski later accused Cariel Horn of jumping on his back, attacking him and trying to stop Neil Mack's arrest. From the testimony, he was saying that he went down, but then he also was saying that I pulled him. You pulled him? Yeah, like I pulled him by his collar or whatever. He's saying that I was to his left side, like we were face to face. Because I said, how can I jump on his back if we're face to face and a person is between us? It's impossible. Neil Mack's face was towards me because he was holding Neil Mack in the choke. He was choking him to buffet. Right, yeah. right. And with his arm and not with his hands. With this, his arm. His forearm. With his forearm. And so then Neil Mack was in front of me. Well, they both were in front of me. But Neil Mack was between us. So his back wasn't even available for me to jump on. Not that I would have jumped on his back because that wasn't what I was thinking. I was thinking about releasing the chokehold, which is what I did. I grabbed his arm. He was clearly in distress. When he, yeah. yeah. I mean, he was struggling mm-hmm. to breathe. Mm-hmm. Was he saying anything? No. No. You just knew that Greg was choking him. I knew that if I didn't stop that, that he would kill him. And I was hoping that I wasn't too late because of the way he looked. You tried to release the arm from his back. I didn't try. I did. And what did Greg do? He came up out of his crouched position and punched me in the face. He punched you in the face. Mm-hmm. Did you fall back or what? Happened? Um, well, after that we started arguing because then I was ready to defend myself. But two officers got between us. Two officers pulled me back. I think that's how my rotator cuff got torn because I think when he pulled me back, he pulled me back really, really hard. God only knows how it would have escalated. But the point is, um, so I didn't fought them for that. What happened next was the Ann Vanio. Ann Vanio is another officer who eventually was fired for threatening to kill someone. Actually, in reporting for this story, we got her personnel file and found she had quite a few investigations into her conduct. And Ann Vanio played a big role in what happened to Cariel Horn. She said that Greg was just trying to do his job as if I was interfering. I said, what, killing somebody? She said that I turned around, pushed her full force with my hands, and caused injury to her. And it never happened. I never touched her. I did turn towards her and said, get back, bitch. So how many, how many in total officers are there, do you remember? I think that we got a count of 18, I think it 18 was. 18 officers? Mm-hmm. Was it basically 17 on one when the stories are written down, like at the end of the day? Was it no. against everybody or... Are there other people? Oh, the stories didn't even go together. They didn't even match. But, but basically, everybody's against you and siding with Greg at the end of the day, or no? No, because we just had some people that, that told the truth, but they did not use any of the black testimony. When I say none of the black testimony, I mean any of the black officers that said anything that could have helped me, they didn't use. In the internal investigation. Right. How did it come to be that you were the target of this investigation? Yeah, you have to ask them. <laughs> you would have to ask them because that is the, is, is the trillion dollar question right there. Um, but I think it was because I kept speaking up about things 
So, what did you find out later? What, why, sorry, why, were they even, why were they even there? Why were they at Neil Okay, good. I'm glad you asked that. So, the mailman saw Neil Mack and his girlfriend arguing, and there was a police car going past. The mailman sees them arguing, and a police officer stops, and the situation escalates. Neil Mack is charged, but a judge tosses the case. He's never convicted of any wrongdoing. I wanted to file criminal charges against Greg. For punching you. Right. And for they wouldn't allow me to. Okay. Right. They wouldn't allow me to. So rather than do that, they put charges on me. So they charge you with what? With interfering with an arrest? Yeah. So obstructing, harassment. Harassment? Uh-huh. They said that um, for pushing Ann Vanya, which I never did, and I don't know if it was assault. I don't no, I don't think it was assault. But they charged me administratively. They never charged me criminally, which is what they should have done if they felt that I had did something wrong. And they they did. In all, Cariel faced 13 violations of department rules. They spent six months investigating. Meanwhile, she's relegated to desk duty. She fought for and got a rare public hearing, and ultimately, she was found guilty of 11 departmental charges. And then she gets fired. Not only that, Kwiatkowski then files a defamation suit against her, and he wins an almost $70,000 judgment. And Cariel Horn ends up having to pay him about $20,000. Mentally, physically, emotionally, I've been drained, financially drained. What kind of jobs have you had to work over the years? Uh, well, I've done truck driving, Uber, Lyft, taxi cab driving. I drove the college bus. What's the college bus? The Stampede, UB, University of Buffalo. They have a bus um, that goes from campus to campus. So I drove that. It just was so boring to me because we only go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. She told me that she truly did not mind driving trucks on longer routes, but along with driving, she had to do heavy lifting and she hurt herself. I smashed my finger and from the police department, I am hurt my ankle and was never able to get it properly taken care of, which of course causes you to overuse the other one, which causes that one to hurt. She was behind on bills and on rent. I was behind in the rent. I tried to pay it, because oh, I had like $700 then. And then she gets an eviction notice. Um, and I owed like, probably like about 2000 or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I did. I got evicted. Yeah, it's been very hard. Been very hard. The reason I, like, I really bounced back or kept bouncing back was because of my children. I knew that I had to show them that Regardless of what you go through, you have to keep it moving. All of those years, Cariel Horn was villainized, made out to be a bad cop who lied on other cops, someone who can't be trusted. Even the Afro-American Police Association turned on her. But Cariel wouldn't shut up. She wouldn't be silenced. She continued to talk openly about what happened that day in Neil Mack's yard. Now, I never gave up hope because I knew that that I had to create change because nobody has the backbone to do it. And because I knew that I was right, and I knew that, you know, what happened on the police department prior to any of this happening, I just was like, no, I can't, because somebody else is going to go through the same thing, and 
they're not going to know what to do. And somebody else did go through the same thing, right? Greg ends up choking somebody else. Yep, it choked, choked another officer. We also got the personnel file for Officer Greg Kwiatkowski and found that he had several internal affairs investigations into his conduct. One was for excessive force on a teenager in 2009, and in that case, Kwiatkowski was actually investigated by federal prosecutors and charged in 2013. He ended up taking a plea deal and spending four months in jail. But there's this whole decade and a half that goes by, in between the Neil Mack incident and Kwiatkowski's conviction. A whole 15 years where Carrie L. Horn still isn't believed. And during this time, she's struggling for work, struggling to pay bills. She has been stripped of her pension. Even after Kwiatkowski's indictment, Carrie L. still does not get her pension back. In fact, it took 13 years for Carrie L. Horn to get a reversal of that order, with the ruling finally coming down in April of 2021. New York State Supreme Court Judge Dennis Ward reversed her firing and wrote, quote, To her credit, Officer Horn did not merely stand by, but instead sought to intervene, despite the penalty she ultimately paid for doing so. I didn't get a pension until like two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. And it was because George Floyd, because he died, that's why it even came up. So I have to be grateful to George Floyd, which is horrible to think about his death. What do you think it was? Because people wanted the police to stop Derek Chauvin from choking him. They wanted them to stop, and they're like, well, why didn't he? And when people said, why didn't the other police officers stop him, and you basically could sit there and say, why? Exactly. People don't want to lose their livelihood. they rather cover up, which is crazy. It makes no sense to me, like, why would you just not do the right thing? Well, I guess to play devil's advocate, huh? doing the right thing didn't work out so great for you for many years, right? You think people are just scared? They are, but why? Well, It's more of us than, than the people that want to do wrong, but it seems like the people that do wrong have the power. And that irritates me because we have a lot of power, we just don't realize it. So the community members rallied and they pushed for them to take a second look and then they mm-hmm. uh, give you the pension back. Right. And so that's when we did the Carriol's Law campaign. Carriol's Law mandates police bystander intervention. It provides protection from retaliation, and it creates a required, reportable registry for officers who abuse. Cariel got it passed in Buffalo and is now advocating to make it the law nationwide. So I just said, you know what, I don't want another officer to have to go through what I have gone through for doing the right thing. And I understand the stigma that's put on you if you're on the police department. But I said, well, now an officer can say, I'm not breaking the law for you, and they have to respect it. It's the duty to intervene. I break it down to the acronym DAPAIR, D-A-P-A-I-R. D is for the duty to intervene. A is accountability for not intervening. P is for um, protection for officers who do intervene. A is for accountability for falsifying reports. I impacts the um, funding when they don't adhere to it. R is restorative justice. So the P, protection. Protection for officers who do intervene. So no, they wouldn't be fired like I was. I think that's the important. I mean, they're all important. But that's Mm -hmm. like, to me, that really stands out because 
That doesn't exist in many police departments. I would venture to say almost none. Police officers are afraid to do the right thing because the backlash is so great. And there are these examples of it all across the country. Of course. Yours is just one, mm-hmm. but many. And I'm sure there are many that we don't know about and we'll never know about. What do you do about that? I mean, that's... You pass Carrier's Law on the national level and you add a national registry. And the national registry is to... So the national registry? The trash, basically. Exactly. Yeah. Can't pass the trash? Is that what you said? <laughs> exactly. Pass the trash comes from... I cover a lot of education stories. Teachers who sick with students or sexually assault students. There's also not a registry for that. And then a lot of times there's, they call it pass the trash. Pass the trash is a slang term that I picked up while covering education corruption stories. It's what educators say when teachers who are caught sexually assaulting students are allowed to leave their schools and get jobs at other ones. Why is there a cultural problem? And how do you fix that? Because they are brainwashed to think that they need this brotherhood because some of these people are really dangerous. No, so you think it comes from this defensive sort of need to protect your own, that outside of the police force and feel they're understood. Yeah, but there, there's really no unity for real, for all. As we drove down the streets of East Buffalo, it became clear to me quite quickly that Cariel is kind of a local hero here. She's easy to spot. She has a head full of bright gray hair and a very contagious smile. People waved at her as we drove windows down through the streets. Like, I don't know him, but people just do that. They just wave. <laughs> She's even featured on a banner celebrating local community heroes. There's a celebrity around here. Yeah, like they always say, oh, he's a local celebrity. But it's like, it kind of makes me feel funny. Like, for stopping doing something I was supposed to do. And they're like, yeah, but people don't. They don't, but they should. But this goodwill does not extend to her former colleagues at the police department, even though she's been vindicated by the courts. Some of the officers are cool with it, but, you know, still that go along, get along type of mentality, so they can't, a lot of them outwardly can't say it. She still feels that she and her family are targeted. Any other notable? Yeah, um, Destiny right here at this Chinese place. They pulled her over. Her license, yeah, her license was suspended. Her daughter was pulled over. And while she admits that her license was suspended, Cariel says that the way that she was treated was still unacceptable. Basically, they drag her out of the car. I have a video, I'll show you. She did show me that video, and it showed what she described. Stop reaching! Are you serious? Yo, yeah, this is crazy. This is about everything I tell you. I pretty much got proof of it. And recently, Cariel's car was towed in the middle of the night. Why are you coming to my house at midnight towing my vehicle? Police said her van didn't have insurance, but she says it did. Let me tell you, the car behind me was my daughter's boyfriend's car that had no insurance, no registration, no nothing. So if the reader would have went off, it would have went off on that one first. She says she proved she had insurance, but she still had to pay to get the van back. I had to pay. I had to pay or told to get it out of there. 
Cariel's teenage son, who was also convicted of murder last year. Court records show he wasn't the shooter, but he was arrested for participating in the robbery. Cariel said officers, who had problems with her, did not recuse themselves from the investigation, and that really bothered her. They know that, you know, he didn't do the shooting, but you want a 16-year-old to go away for 25 years of life for something that you know he didn't do? It's like, why? And then... The city of Buffalo is digging out after several feet of snow blanketed cars, roads, and homes. During the aftermath of the December holiday blizzard that paralyzed Buffalo, dumping four feet of snow and blowing 70-mile-an-hour winds, Cariel was out trying to help people. And she noticed some folks who were being detained by police were forced to sit in the snow. She says she approached police and was eventually arrested. I said to the officer, I was like, well, you need to get them off the ground. And he says that I needed to get back from impeding his investigation or else I'll be on the ground. The paperwork shows she was accused of pointing a finger at police, obstructing and refusing to move on. I got arrested because I was speaking up for people who were placed on the ground, on the cold ground in the snow. That's pretty much it. Again, she felt targeted. You think there's a sense that like we have to stand together because the, the rest of the world doesn't understand us or the rest of the community is against us? Yeah, but us? that's the bad cop mentality. Because why would the rest of the world not understand you? I know you had to talk a lot today, but I really appreciate everything no you shared. Problem. No problem. And your tour of the town. Yeah, so you get to see Raggedy Buffalo, the Raggedy Park. Okay, so I'll send you whatever. On my way to Buffalo that morning, before I met Cariel Horn, I saw a news story in the airport. Let's go now to Buffalo, where the community will come together at the site of that city's mass shooting. And I realized that this day that we had somewhat randomly picked to meet, it was a pretty significant day in the city of Buffalo. Tops Markets is hoping to help customers disconnect the location from the trauma caused on May 14th. It's a step forward since a teenage gunman allegedly stormed the grocery store and shot 13 people, killing 10. It was the reopening day for the Tops grocery store, where 10 people had been murdered a month earlier by a teenage white supremacist. When I arrived, I went to visit the memorial. Cariel was there, holding a sign that said, We put a Band-Aid on a gaping wound called racism. So rather than deal with that issue, they're like, Bam! Tops is reopening. Everybody? A lot of people just going along to get along. Cariel explained to me that she sees a lot of parallels between what happened to her and what happened at that Tops grocery store. Cariel sees the responses to both incidents as lacking, as fleeting, unsubstantial. As her sign says, just band-aids. What do you think they should have done at Tops? I think it should have been used to represent racism and getting over racism and working on racism. So if they wanted to do anything, how about some type of something that's going to help with racism? So you think that by kind of opening today, just they're kind of trying to say, like, everything's fine. Right. And it's beautiful. And We're not racist anymore. We got over it. We're not racist anymore. Now you get over it. 
It's like, but do you understand why? Just like the one guy says, nothing has changed. I said, the day, that's what's changed. This is Why Don't We Know. Former police officers Ann Banyo, Greg Kwiatkowski, and the current officials at the Buffalo Police Department either could not be reached for comment on this episode or did not return requests for comment by publication time. This episode was written and produced by me, Sarah Gannam, with records requests filed by our research consultant, Brittany Suzan. Additional research and reporting was done by Trey Ecker and Brett Posner Ferdman. This episode was edited by Amy Fu and James Sullivan at WUFT in Gainesville, Florida. The Why Don't We Know theme music was composed by Pete Redman. Audio mixing was done by James Sullivan. Why Don't We Know is a production of the Breckner Center for Freedom of Information at the University of Florida. For more information, please visit our website at www.whydon'tweknow.org. 